This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I believe whatever the cost, and when time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll still cling to the old rugged. society would call it old-fashioned, but uh, to me, the way of the cross is the only way. You know what? It's been a good day, uh, and I just have to say something, and we're going to actually present them next, next Sunday in the early service, but, you know, uh, sometimes stuff happens in our marriages, and uh, 
divorce is a reality of life. Unfortunately, that wasn't God's plan, but it happens. And um, I, I just want to give testimony today of what, what God did in, in the life of uh, Richard and Annette. I believe it was around seven, eight years ago that things went from bad to worse. And uh, there is a divorce. But uh, thank God today there was, uh, there was a remarriage, reconciliation. And in our Sunday school class, Pastor Dennis led them in their vows again. And so Richard and Annette Button are together. And just a tribute to God's grace, God's amazing grace. And, you know, the tears were flowing freely in that class this morning as... It was just, just all God. And um, so let me just, I guess, give you hope. If your marriage is the pits and uh, just seems like there is no hope at all, you know what? God can come in and change things, change attitudes. And, and that's what had to happen with both of them. And uh, anyway, I just had to give you that note of testimony this morning. Matthew chapter 23 verse 25 and will also be in another place in Matthew and then Romans chapter 3 and as, as always you can go to the Version app and then find the Church of God Holiness event and follow along there um, if, you, if you've got a smartphone feel free to do that just don't be texting each other or Facebooking please <laughs> this is the second week in our series that, that uh, we're, we're calling God Is and of course, this stems from my concern in our society that uh, we've lost sight of who God really is, because our, our our society has tried to create God in our own image. And of course, in the beginning, God uh, created man after His own image, and we're trying to return the favor. and And we've created a God that is very, very distorted from the true God of the Bible. Very different. And last week we talked about on-demand God. Uh, our on-demand society wants an on-demand God that we can command to do whatever we want whenever we want it. But we learned last week that God doesn't exist to serve us. Rather, we exist to serve Him. And God doesn't prove His love for us by answering our prayers. He loves us regardless. And He already proved His love for us when He sent His Son, Jesus. Today, and if you'll just put up with my gravelly voice and uh, someone in the early service made me a concoction i'll be drinking after this i'm not going to tell you what's in it but it's good um but just kind of bear with the uh the, the gravelly voice and, and maybe a cough once in a while but today we're going to talk about another one of america's distorted views of god and and i'm calling this the rules god you would be surprised at how many people believe that that God is this, can I just maybe uh, say, a crotchety, cranky, grouchy, white-bearded, ancient figure that doesn't want you to have any fun. And, and so therefore, to keep you from having fun, he puts his thumb on you like that, and he creates a bunch of thou shalt nots. I mean, that's what society views, and so... The question we want to explore is, is that the way that God really is? Is God just about a bunch of rules? 
Now, to get us headed in the right direction, we're, we're going to uh, begin by giving you some bad news and then some good news. And, and let's get the bad news over with first. And, and this is bad news about religion. Now, since the word religion means different things to different people, we need to get on the same page here. When I talk about religion, please know I'm not talking about Christianity. Religion is not Christianity. It's far from Christianity. Christianity is about Christ, but religion is about rules. And Jesus talked about these rules with an interesting analogy in Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. And I'll be reading from the NLT this morning, New Living Translation. And it reads like this. How terrible it will be for your teachers, you teachers of religious law, and you hypocrites, and you Pharisees, hypocrites he called them, you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup, and then the outside will become clean too. Now, let me kind of let you in on how the Pharisees thought. The, the Pharisees knew that God was over here and God was holy. And even though they, they were, you know, they had a pretty high view of themselves, but, but they still knew that they were sinful. And so they knew that there was a gap here, and they knew that they somehow needed to close the gap from God's holiness over here to man's sinfulness. And so to do that, they would begin to focus on a bunch of external things, such as putting on a big religious show. And what they would do, they would go out to the street corners and pray super long, super loud, super fancy prayers. Not so God would hear them, but so that everyone else would hear them and think they were spiritual. And then they would also wear these these really fancy robes with tassels. Um, Kind of reminds me of college graduations. If you've ever been to a college graduation, you know, when you graduate with a bachelor's degree, you have a very plain-looking cord that you drape around your neck. If you graduate with honors, it gets a little bit fancier. Uh, If you have a master's degree, it gets fancier yet. And then if you happen to have a doctorate or a double doctorate, the cords get super snazzy. Uh, And so these Pharisees, they would wear snazzy robes with fancy tassels trying to impress people and and make people think that they were spiritual. But of course, Christ wasn't impressed in the least. And, and he said, hey, you, you pray these long prayers in public places. You put on a show with your fancy robes and, and fancy tassels. But then you go out and take advantage of innocent widows. What's up with that? And furthermore, you love your rules and you keep the letter of the law. But he said the problem is that you love your rules more than you love your God. And... I, I don't want to take a lot of time here. We've got a lot to cover, but, but let me give you a little history lesson that will maybe help bring some understanding to this. If you go back to the Old Testament, after the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, here's what happened. The religious leaders saw that God's people had strayed far away from God, and, and they were breaking the law. And, and by the law, I'm referring to the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And, and they said, you know, we've got all of these people breaking the law, we need to do something about it. And, and so here's what the religious de- leaders did. They, they came up with over 600 brand new laws, and they called them fence laws. 
Because they essentially built a fence. Here was the Torah. And they built a fence around the Torah. And so, and so they call this the fence laws. And these laws were so intense and so detailed. For example, there were 65 different laws just about the Sabbath. You know, you've heard some of them. You were only allowed to take so many steps on the Sabbath or that would be too much exertion and be considered work. So there's no way you could go take a leisurely walk on, on, on the Sabbath. Uh, here's one that was very interesting. You weren't allowed to separate two threads. You know, sometimes you get a couple threads that get kind of wound together. You could not separate those two threads on, on the Sabbath. That was just too much work. Uh, you were not allowed to write two or more letters of the alphabet. Uh, you were not allowed to do any baking on the Sabbath. You were not allowed to, uh, you had to make sure, check your shoe, your sandal on Friday. Of course, Saturday was the Sabbath. And make sure it didn't have a tack. Because if it had a tack in your heel of the, of the sandal or in your sandal, and you walked around on the Sabbath, that meant you were carrying a load. Um, ladies, you couldn't look for a gray hair and pull it out because that would be called hunting on the Sabbath. I'm serious. There were 65 of those laws just for the Sabbath. Well, in the third century, they compiled, they took these 613 fence laws and they compiled them into a book known as the Mishnah. And this book ended up being over 800 pages of man-made rules trying to help people become more spiritual. Well, did that work? No, of course not. Uh, rules never change the heart. Rules never bring revival. Rules never change attitudes. Now, now, now rules sometimes will, will help temporarily change behavior, but the heart is never changed by adding more and more rules. And that's the reason that, that Jesus got so upset at these religious leaders. He, he saw that they loved their rules, but they didn't love God. He saw that they were committed to following the letter of the law, but they were not committed to loving people. And so he said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 3, he said, So practice and obey whatever they say to you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush you with impossible religious demands. Never lift a finger to help ease the burden. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, man, they are so silly. And if I'm not careful, I get a little smug feeling that I'm, I'm a little bit better than the Pharisees, you know, because I would never do that kind of stuff. And But let me just remind us all, there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. Did you know that? You've got a little bit of Pharisee in you. And I do too. And most of us as Christians and even many churches are more rules-oriented than we realize. Now, now we fight against it. Oh, no, we don't want rules. But what happens is sometimes we keep on adding rules. You know, for example, there are quite a few churches that have what's called platform rules. Anybody ever hear of platform rules before? Anybody? Well, a few. I think some of you are just not admitting it. But some churches have a platform rule, and, and what it is, you know, if you're going to get on this platform to sing or to play, then you have to live up to the standard. You know, you can't wear this or you have to wear this or um, 
or you know if you've been divorced and you certainly can't climb up here on the platform and 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 you know let me just say that I, I believe there need to be some guidelines and, and and that's not what I'm I'm saying but but the point I want to make is that the, this issue of platform rules sometimes leads to hypocrisy because what will what will take place in many churches is churches will police these platform rules and if a particular person doesn't meet the, the, the platform rules, they will say, you cannot get up here on the platform to sing. But what we'll do is we'll pass a mic down to you on the floor level and you can sing from there. I'm serious, that's what they do. As if this is the holy of holies where only a few select few are allowed to climb up here. And, and it's interesting, this past week, Someone here at this church asked me if our platform, church platform rules included a particular rule that I'm not going to mention to you. But what I want to get across is that rules almost, that a rules-oriented church almost always brings about hypocrisy. Why? Because our focus gets on the rules instead of on Jesus. Let me give one more illustration here and... I, um, I think I mentioned this back some years ago, but when we were serving in South America, there was a church organization that discouraged the wearing of red. And uh, I guess red at one time was supposedly associated with prostitution. And uh, in one of the classes that I taught, I taught at a seminary there in, in the, the city of La Paz. And it was an interdenominational seminary, so we had pastors coming, church leaders coming from a lot of different organizations. And... Um, and this one pastor happened to be from this organization that said you can't wear red. And, uh, you know, he was a good guy, but, but he was a little bit, uh, had a tendency towards some uh, legalistic ways. But anyway, one day someone happened to look down at the socks he was wearing. And they weren't red, thank God, because red was banned. But they were socks with the Playboy bunny on them. They were Playboy socks. So even the church, though the church had essentially banned the color red because of the connotation, you know, um, they hadn't banned Playboy socks. Which leads me to say that you can never, ever come up with enough rules to cover all of the bases. You know, some churches have tried. And you know the result? The result is a book of bylaws as thick as the Webster's Dictionary but again, a book of rules does not have the power to change people's hearts. Just on the lighter side, can, can we uh, go, go backwards here a minute? And uh, I, I want to share some crazy bylaws. These are actual bylaws that churches have. And I, I researched it a little bit this week. And this comes from Tom Rainier, who is a, a pastor I respect. And, and, and I, I read after him and... Whatever he writes, I, I really, really have a lot of respect for this man. But um, he, enjoy some of these actual bylaws. Here's one. An, a, an active member of a particular church, the, the bylaws of a particular church, is defined as one who gives at least one penny a year. That's the definition of an active member. It doesn't matter how you live, whatever you can live like the devil. Make sure you get your penny a year in and you're, you're a member. Here's another one. Uh, by law, men serving communion are required to wear a coat and tie. But what I found interesting is there is no rule about having to wear pants. (laughs) 
here's another one. The church has to have a minimum of five deacons, which sounds reasonable. I mean, you, you want several deacons, but the, this church only had 20 people attending it. So they were suggesting that sometimes toddlers might have to be a deacon. Um, here's another one. No one is allowed to bring glitter into church. That's an actual bylaw in a church. And, and, and I really think maybe that would be one here the board ought to consider as we approach our annual business meeting because I don't know who's guilty of it, but we come in here during the week. This place sparkles like the celestial city. <laughs> Ladies, do you really have to wear the glitter to church? Okay, just saying. Moving right along. Um, Here's another one, another actual bylaw. No church member is allowed to drink alcohol except during the Lord's Supper. And so I have a feeling the Lord's Supper was always a high attendance day. (laughs) Now, you you know that I'm a a teetotaler, and I encourage you to be teetotalers. I I, I just think it's it's, it's the best policy. um, But... You know, if you ban alcohol outside of the church, why not ban it in the church as well and use grape juice for communion? Just saying. Here's another one. This really probably should be in our bylaws as well. No one who has diarrhea is allowed to come to church. (laughs) I'm serious. That was an actual bylaw. And and so my question was, as I read this, I thought, okay, do they have the greeters asking people, do you have diarrhea today? Oh, I'm sorry. We're on live stream, aren't we? I shouldn't have said that. <clears throat> Here, here's another one. Members cannot have assigned pews. But you didn't get the memo, did you? I have a feeling that church does it just like you do anyway. We, anyway, we laugh at these rules, but, you know, the, the truth is that Satan is continually trying to get us to form more and more and more rules because... He knows that when we begin to focus on rules, again, we're not focused on Jesus. And so the the summary so far is rules are not a reflection of the nature of God. These 613 rules created by the religious leaders were not rules from God. They were man-made rules. Rules to try to help close the gap from a holy God... And a sinful man somehow bring them together. But rules never change hearts. Only Jesus can change change hearts. Enough bad news. Let me share some good news. And this is not good news about religion. Because frankly, religion has no good news. This is good news about Jesus. And let me just kind of warn you here. If if you have a tendency to let your mind wander or maybe shallow in your thinking, this is going to be tough for just a couple of minutes. But if you'll stick with me, there will be a payoff, I promise. But you're going to have to stick with me or or you're going to get lost. We're going to go to Romans chapter 3. And these are three tough verses, but we're going to break them down and and, uh, talk about them, put a little bit of honey and syrup on them and... And these these verses are going to be really, really sweet in in, in just a few minutes after we talk about them. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. And here's what it says. And this time I'm reading from the New International Version. It reads like this. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify 
this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe. So what in the world are these verses saying? Three very basic things. Number one, you cannot earn God's acceptance by obeying the law. And you already know this, but no matter how hard you try, no matter how many good works you do, or no matter how many bad works you avoid, you cannot earn God's acceptance. Religion says that obeying rules is the formula for narrowing the gap between sinful man and a holy God. But Scripture teaches you that you can never be good enough to please God. So that raises the question, why did God give us the law? I mean, I mean, if there's no way that the law can close the gap between holiness and sinfulness, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that leads us to the second thought. Stick with me. Remember, there's a payoff. The purpose of the law is to show you your need of a Savior. And, and we read that in verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in the sight by observing the law. Why then is there the law? It says, rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So the law helps us to become aware of our sinfulness. That's the purpose of the law. And, uh, and, and please catch this. I think our county needs this. Um, there's such a common belief in our community that we're not bad people. In fact, if you want to make someone mad, all you have to do is call them a bad sinner. And they will be quick to respond back, who are you to judge me? I'm not a bad person. Well, maybe in comparison to someone else, they're not a bad person. But compared to the standards of God, we all fall incredibly short. And that's why the law is so important, because it shows us, it helps us understand that every one of us, we are sinners. You know, there's something that I've done a couple of times before, and I will probably keep on doing it in the future because it helps illustrate the fact that the law shows us that we are sinners that are in need of a Savior. So I'm going to ask you some questions just to answer honestly. How many of you have ever told a lie? Just raise your hand. All right, raise them higher than that and keep them up. Now look around and see if anybody's not raising their hand and go, liar, liar, pants on fire, okay? All right, I, I, I think we've all lied. Is that right? Is there common consensus? Okay. Um, this may be a little bit more embarrassing, but how many of you have ever stolen something? And I'll be the first. I have. Anybody else? You've stolen something? Um, no, keep your hands up. I want to see those that are really holy because I want to go get near you and lay hands on your neck <laughs> okay you can put your put your hands down uh you know what maybe you haven't stolen there are a few that probably didn't raise their hands i've never stolen anything well um you know what maybe not from a store but how many of us have stolen time from our employer or we've stolen someone's reputation through gossip you know what i think really every hand should have gone up we, we've all stolen Okay, here's another one. How many of you have ever had an affair? Raise your hand. No, don't do that. <laughs> I could just imagine a wife looking. What? You didn't tell me. 
We don't need any divorces here on Sunday morning. We just marriages only on Sunday morning. But, um, you know, um, probably more than what we realize have had physical affairs. And I was reading, and, and I don't know if this is true, but the, the according to the Journal of Couple and Relationship Therapy, they said that in, in nearly 80% of today's homes, someone has either had an affair or is currently having an affair. 80% is what they said. So more than likely, if we were to raise our hands, there would be a lot of hands that would go up. But, but for those that would feel good and just kind of sit back and say, well, Man, that's not me. <laughs> Let me remind you what Scripture says, that if you've ever lusted about after anyone, um, you've committed adultery in your heart. Which means that if you've ever looked at pornography, that's mental adultery. If, if you've ever looked at someone and wished and wondered what it might be like to be with them, you, you would need to raise your hand. So probably, again, most of us would need to raise our hands on this one as well. How about this one? I do want you to respond. How many of you have ever killed someone? I mean, physically, literally killed a human being. Okay, you know what? We did have someone attend church here that did kill someone one, one time, and it was in self-defense, but... It was a she, and she actually did kill them. Um, probably nobody here has committed cold-blooded murder. But then I ask you about that verse in First John that says, if you hate your brother, you know, you're a murderer. And you say, well, I don't hate anyone. I just don't like them. And that's the reason I avoid them. But I love them. Hmm. See how that logic works out for you at the judgment. You know, the, the truth is that most... All of us here, and, and I think most of us here, we're good. We're committed. Uh, we're, we're church-going people. And, uh, you know, we, we might even consider ourselves to be, to be the cream of the crop in our community. But, but most of us have admitted that we've lied, we've stolen, we've committed adultery, we've murdered in our heart. In fact, I would say we're wretched, we're pathetic, we're unrighteous, we're unholy. Welcome to the Church of God Holiness where we make you feel good about yourself. And I hope you're glad you came today. But until we recognize that we're bad people, until we recognize that we are good-for-nothing sinners, then we will never see our need for a Savior. And again, that's part of the problem of our society today. Everybody feels they're good people, and so therefore when they die, they feel they will all go to a better place. And the purpose of the law is to show us that we have sinned. We fall way beneath His standards. We need grace. We need mercy. We need something besides rules to get us to heaven. Number three, being right with God comes by faith alone in Christ alone. And this is what Paul was saying in verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And this verse right here is the reason that I'm going to tell you, you do not need religion. Tyler, you don't need religion. Chance, you don't need religion. Kenny, you don't need religion. Harold, you don't need religion. Get rid of all religion in your life. Instead of religion, you need Jesus Christ. 
And anytime someone comes to you and says, well, God's nothing but a killjoy, they're just way too many rules, we need to help them understand that the rules, rules are not the gospel. That's religion. Religion has complicated the simplicity of the gospel. You see, if you go back to the beginning of, of mankind, there in the Garden of Eden, what did you have? Well, God created Adam, and, and God said, this is good, and then God created Eve, and that was even better. And, and God said, there in that beautiful paradise, be fruitful, subdue the land, name the animals, plant the crops, enjoy the gift of paradise, be blessed. But God also said, you know, there's one thing I don't want you to do, and see that tree over there, that's the, called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and and don't eat from that because if you eat from it, it's not going to be good for you. So don't do it. You know, besides that, take your liberty. Enjoy. Name the giraffe. The turtle. The pig. The monkey. You've got a lot of work to do. But don't forget just one thing I don't want you to do. Did you notice that God didn't have a bunch of rules? Just one. And why did God have that one rule? Well, it was so they wouldn't have any fun. No, it was there to protect them. I love Psalm 16. And, and for those of you that are scholars, it's known as the golden psalm. And David said this, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And I went quite a few years not really understanding. What is boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. What does it mean? Well, it means that the boundary lines that God gives are pleasant. In other words, I have freedom on this side of the boundary line, and that's pleasant. You know, we should not look at God's boundary lines as oppressive and with the feeling, well, I've got to do this because God's making me do this. No, we look at these boundary lines as something that protects us. And so we stay on this side of the line, not because it's oppressive, not because God is a killjoy. No, we stay on this side because we choose to. And we want to. And it protects us. It's like faith. When we got married over 30 years ago, I promised what? To lay down the law for her? <laughs> no, not at all. That wouldn't have gone over very well. <laughs> I promise to be faithful to her as long as we both shall live. And what's the benefit of that? I mean, that sounds restrictive. Well, it is restrictive, but the blessing of a faithful marriage is far richer than the forbidden fruit on the other side. And why do I do it? Because I have to. It's because I want to. And so religion complicates with laws. Jesus simplifies with love. Let me say this again. Religion complicates with laws. Jesus simplifies with love. One time a religious person said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And you had the Ten Commandments, and you had these 613 fence laws. And... and uh, said, what's the greatest one? And Jesus simplified it down to two. He said, well, the most important thing is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And then he said, you know, in second thought, you know, also you need to love your neighbor just as you love yourself. That's the simplicity of the gospel. Religion complicates with laws and rules. Jesus simplifies with love. 
And because the boundary lines fall in pleasant places, I don't have to obey. I have a free moral will. I can do whatever I want. But I want to obey. I want to be faithful. I want to honor my God. One time there was a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. You've heard this account many times. And all of the religious men came around and said, the law says we should stone her. But seeing Jesus there, they said, Rabbi, what, what do you say? They had the rocks there ready. And uh, you know the account. Jesus kind of bent down and started writing in the sand. And you know it's been suggested many times that, that uh, maybe he was writing the sins of the men who were there. But whatever it was, the scripture says that And this I find interesting. The older men walked away first and then the younger. I haven't quite figured that out. I've got some theories, but I'm not sure. And and, and Jesus said, hey, if you want to stone her, then whoever has never sinned, you throw the first stone, the first rock. And by the way, can I just stop here and say, that's the policy of this church. If someone messes up, and they will, it may be you, it may be me, someone's going to mess up. But the policy of this church is that those only that have never sinned, you can cast the first stone, you can criticize, you can condemn. We give you permission. But the rest of us that have sinned, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to show grace. We're going to show mercy. We're not going to prove of their sin. It's just that we as sinners, we've been forgiven by God. And and we're not about condemnation. We're about restoration. When someone falls, it's not jumping on them, but it's gently leading them back into the fold. But anyway, with this woman, Jesus looked at her and said, Where are those who condemn you and accuse you? And she looked around and said, I guess there are none. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And he said this important phrase, so go your way, but stop your sinning ways. Now, we don't know for sure what happened in this woman's life, but I've got a theory, and my theory may be totally wrong, but but my theory is that this woman never committed adultery again. Why? Well, because she was afraid of getting caught again. No, I I don't think so. I I think it's because the boundary lines had now fallen in pleasant places. And and she understood Jesus' heart. And she was now forgiven. She was loved. and, And so again, I may be wrong, but I have a feeling that she never committed adultery again. You know, because I've been loved by God, I I choose to follow Him. Religion complicates what God made simple. Religion complicates with laws, but Jesus simplifies with love. And you know, when you get Jesus, here's what happens. You know, we've got on a robe of sin that's stained. And Jesus takes His robe of righteousness and puts it on us. And what do we give Him? We give Him our sin. What a deal. (laughs) What a deal. We give Him our sin. He gives us our robe of righteousness where we're clean and pure and God looks down and He no longer sees our sin. He sees the righteousness of His Son Jesus in us because we've been forgiven. We've been cleansed. And so this morning, maybe you're seeking and you're thinking, I've got to do better. And I've heard of someone in this church that, that, that is wanting 
is wanting to get right with God, but they, they keep saying, you know what, I just need to do better. I need to improve in these areas. And, you know, that's so backwards because our scripture says he wants to come and clean up the heart, the inside, and then the outside will take care of itself. And so this morning, if there's someone here that just keeps trying and trying and trying to be better and do better and act better, but you can't seem to get close enough to God, can I tell you, forget religion follow after Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Maybe there's someone here that would like to just say, I want to receive the cloak of righteousness. I'm ready to get rid of my sin. And I want Christ's righteousness righteousness to be on me. And if God is speaking to you this morning, I would invite you to come and kneel at at the steps here. Before we do that let's just bow our heads father we thank you for your presence we thank you for just the amazing work of of grace that you that you made possible for us lord i pray that there would not be one person that would go out of here with a cloak of sin on but they would receive the cloak of righteousness where they can be clean and pure in the sight of god lord would you just cleanse us today I pray this in your name. Is there somebody here that would say, Pastor, I I know I'm not where I should be. Would you just pray for me? Don't embarrass me, but just pray for me. Anybody lift a hand and God's spoken. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Just pray for me, Pastor. I see your hand. Thank you. Thanks for your honesty. You know, if God's speaking to you, why don't you go ahead and come forward and kneel at these steps and, and just say, today is the day I give it all to God and maybe grab the person right by you and say, go with me, pray with me. Why would you wait? Would you just come right now? Is there someone else that would like to come? And could we have a couple of ladies that would gather over here? My left, your right. Is there someone else you want to come and just seek Seek God. Seek Him while He may be found, and He can be found today. There's mercy, there's grace. Anyone else, you want to come and you want to pray and receive Him and receive that cloak of righteousness. Just a few more seconds here, and we're not going to take a long time, but I'm going to give you plenty of opportunity. Lord, I just pray for courage for those that know what needs to happen in their life lord sometimes satan makes us think that we can't live it but through god's power through god's grace we can lord i just pray right now that you would give courage to those who are maybe in the balance deciding yay or nay be with us i pray just one more opportunity not going to beg and plead but i want to give you an opportunity if god has spoken to you Would you want to come right now? We'll gather and pray with you. You don't confess your sins to me or anyone else. You confess them straight to Jesus. Father, I thank you again for your presence and 
just take these words and seal them to our hearts and your word especially embedded on the hard drive of our minds and heart and Lord as we go from here let us keep our eyes on Jesus the author the finisher of our faith rules are not the author and finisher of our faith but Jesus is and Lord let us keep our eyes on Jesus even when society would try to cloud the issue even when maybe our co-workers our friends or our family would try to get our eyes off of Jesus but I pray that we would stay glued to Jesus Christ for it's in his name we ask these favors and again all of God's people said Amen and amen. Thank you for coming. You are dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.